Hello, welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me at LiveTo110.com. And you can find this video podcast on the YouTube channel at Wendy Live to 110 and on the corresponding blog post. Today we have Kevin Geary on the podcast. He's going to be talking about something a lot of you guys want to know. How do you shut down sugar cravings? Uh, this is a challenge for so many people, including myself, and it can be exasperating, a constant daily battle because we are always surrounded by sugar everywhere you go, everywhere you look, there's sugar everywhere, and so many people are addicted. So I thought it's uh, very important for me to have Kevin on the show today. He has an amazing program called Shut Down Your Sugar Cravings that you can check out. It's a very inexpensive one-month program that he's going to talk about today on the program. Please keep in mind that this program is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. And I'm so thrilled I finally launched my Body Bio Rehab program. This is an online one-month program that I wanted to create to teach you about the basics of health. You can learn more about it at bodybiorehab.com. And so many people send me emails every single day asking, what kind of diet should I eat? What kind of supplement should I take? Uh, how do I sleep better? How do I, what's the best way to detox, etc.? So I wanted to create a program that was foundational, that taught you the basics about the five pillars of health. What type of diet you should eat? What kind of exercise you should do and how much? What, uh, what type of stress reduction tips are key? Uh, people need a lot of stress reduction tools in their toolkit because it's the number one killer. Uh, people need to know how to sleep better. There's so many simple tips that you can do to get a better night's sleep. So I teach you that and the supplements to take to improve your sleep if you just, you, whatever reason you cannot sleep. And I teach you all about detoxification and how, especially in the coming years and decades, how detoxification is going to play a primary role in preventing disease. There are hundreds of chemicals um, in our bodies on average. There are 80,000 chemicals in our environment and dozens of heavy metals. And they are not producing health. They are synergistically destroying your health. And unless you add this to your health regime, you cannot hope to live a long, disease-free life. It's just not possible in today's day and age. So I talk about that in the program as well. So go learn more at bodybiorehab.com. Our guest today, Kevin Geary, uh, is a friend of mine. He's been on the podcast before. He's such a great guest. Um, he is a holistic health coach. He uses a unique blend of ancestral science and modern psychology to help men and women reprogram their body and mind for sustainable fat loss, vibrant health, and peak performance. At one point, Kevin was 60 pounds heavier than he is today, kind of hard to believe, but what he learned in his struggle to lose weight and keep it off has been incorporated into his Rebooted Body program. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be back. Well, why don't we just start out with telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you became a health coach? Sure. So back in 2009, I was uh, over 220 pounds. I had high blood pressure. I was a borderline diabetic and I wasn't really happy with the way things were going. And I went to my doctor. My wife had urged me to go and basically just get a, a checkup. 
And she was like, you haven't had a physical in a long time, like since I met you, you know, why don't you go uh, get yourself checked out, make sure everything is is healthy. We, we were planning on having kids. So she wanted to make sure everything was in order with that. So I was like, okay, I definitely will went. And they, they that's when they told me, Hey, you have high blood pressure and you're borderline diabetic. You might want to take care of some of these things. So I went home and the, the other frustrating thing was I had been trying to lose weight. Like I'd been doing the traditional approach, counting calories and going to the gym a lot and doing a lot of exercise. I was trying to do running. And the only thing that was happening was I was getting tired all of the time and I was completely out of energy and my weight would fluctuate. I would make some progress, uh, but then I would, you know, relapse and I would binge. And so what happened was I would, I would lose five or 10 pounds. Then I would gain like 15 back. And just through that process over and over and over again, worked my way up to 220. So I kind of felt leaving the doctor's office kind of hopeless because I didn't really have a plan of action. I I knew that if I went back and just tried to do the dieting thing that I was doing, that it was going to end in the same result. So I went online and I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to look for people who are saying something completely different from what I have heard in the past and what I've tried in the past. And I came across the real food movement and started to implement a lot of the principles there and saw really great initial progress. I think I got down to, uh, you know, 175, 180, something like that. And then, you know, I started getting hit with some of these like psychological triggers. So I felt like I had made good progress. So I started rewarding myself for doing that. Um, sugar cravings that I had previously had came roaring back. Um, started binging again, that kind of thing. Uh, and in the back of my mind, I think I was telling myself also, you know, you, you can go ahead and do these things because you, you have the answer now. Like you can, you can get back on track whenever you want. And of course that's a, a lie. Um, so, you know, through this process, uh, I eventually decided, well, okay, I, I obviously don't have like the mental part of this down. Like I got the physical, you know, facts in order, but my mindset is still out of control. It's still manipulating my behavior. So that's when I really started to dive into the psychology side of things. And through the work that I did there, I was able to beat a lot of these triggers and get down to you know my current weight, which is about 165, and have maintained that for years. And uh, Rebooted Body was born kind of out of that journey. A couple of friends who saw me do that process started asking me for more details, and uh, they were overweight as well, um, wanted to get healthier. So I just started kind of giving them tips and such on the side and guidance, and they saw great results. Uh, I was working in a martial arts studio at the time, so I was teaching a lot of kids, and their parents would watch classes. So their parents saw my transformation, and some of them would start asking me, about what I did. And, uh, I started helping them. And that's really when I decided that I wanted to do this, uh, in a more professional sense, especially because the job that I had at the martial arts studio, I was a co-owner. Uh, my partner was not a good person and I was frankly tired of not, not just him, but the, uh, you know, the whole paradigm of what martial arts has become, it's just very like reward driven and kind of empty and shallow. And when you're teaching kids, they, they try to make it all about the games and there's not really any serious training. Uh, and, and I was just, I had done that for 15 years and I was so done with it. And I saw this, you know, helping people get a body in life they love thing as that, that thing I could jump to. 
And that's when I started Rebooted Body. We did a pilot program for uh, a group course, got 16 people into that group course live in Atlanta, saw really great results. And that actually became the blueprint for my Total Body Reboot program, which is our, our flagship course at Rebooted Body. So that's kind of the the timeline there, the, the cliff notes. Yeah. And it looks like such an amazing program. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but you started a, a sugar cravings course as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So Shut Down Your Sugar Cravings was released last year. And we released that really because kind of kind of a stepping stone to Total Body Reboot. I mean, a lot of people want to do Total Body Reboot, but they, they want something shorter to do first, something faster, something to get real quick results up front. So that's why we started Shut Down Your Sugar Cravings. Of course, even if people don't want to do Total Body Reboot, it's a really great program just for addressing that side of things. I mean, somebody could be in my shoes where I, I, I knew about the commitment to real food and I knew about functional movement and all that but I was still dealing with all of the psychological aspects of these sugar cravings. And that's one of the main issues that I see with people is even if they know what to do, the the way their behavior is manipulated by these triggers and, and sugar and processed food in specifically, they, they just can't consistently stay on course. And, and that's why I created Shut Down Your Sugar Cravings to help people overcome that challenge because I saw it was so big. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to have you come on the podcast and talk about, you know, how to stop your sugar, sugar cravings because it's so challenging. I have a, a lot of clients, uh, including myself, honestly, that do everything right, that have a very healthy lifestyle, but still really struggle with sugar. I struggle with sugar every single day. And uh, so I think you, you give a lot of really great tips in this course about how to kick your cravings butt, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. So why don't we talk a little bit about sugar cravings? Uh, what sure. are some of the big biggest myths with overcoming sugar cravings? Yeah. So I would say the, the biggest myth that I see people fall into, this is a huge trap, is, is thinking that if you beat the dependency, that you beat the cravings. And so just in case people don't have any clarification on this, the, the dependency is that short-term physiological dependence, the thing that when, when you're working on that, you're getting the withdrawal symptoms, right? The headaches, the low energy levels, the flu-like symptoms. So this dependency is this like two to three week period at the very beginning. And people are like, if I can just learn to get through that, or if somebody can get me through that, then I'll be good. I won't have any, any more cravings whatsoever. And that's absolutely not the case. So we're going to talk, I'm sure about the psychology side of things, but until the, the mindset stuff is dealt with and the triggers are healed, the dependency is number one, it's the easiest part to overcome. Um, if you just buckle down and anybody can really use willpower for 21 days to get through that that section. And that's really what people do. Uh, but you'll see, I, I was just online the other day and somebody was recruiting their friends to do the sugar detox thing. But the yeah. problem was they were like, this is going to be my sixth time. It's awesome course. Come do it with me. I'm like your sixth time. Like if you're <laughs> it's your sixth time, it's not working. Right. Yeah. And it's not working because I know how those courses work. They help you get through the dependency and then you're on your own and the triggers are still there uh, and they come back and, and they derail you. Let's talk about some of those triggers. I know that, you know, driving by your favorite restaurants or maybe going to that gas station in the morning where they have got the candy aisle. Uh, let's talk about some of those things that will trigger your brain to make you reach for that sugar. Yeah. So the, the first thing, I mean, is 
there's there's a concept called symbolic substitution, and this this is probably the biggest thing that people have to to get hold of, and realize you know what's going on in their life. But symbolic substitution is is using sugar or processed foods to cover up. Uh, unmet needs in their life or to cope with unmet needs. And stress is just, we can use the term stress in general. So if you have work stress, if you have relationship stress, if you have family stress, if you have scheduling stress, all of those things become triggers. And sugar is a very nice drug to cope with those things. Um, so you you have needs, like the need for room in your schedule, the need for time by yourself, the need for an intimate relationship. Maybe those things aren't being met, so you turn to sugar. So that's prob- probably the biggest trigger and, and the cause of other smaller triggers that people may identify. Um, but th- that's the one I think people need to deal with the most. Yeah, just uh, having a a full life. People, I think there's a lot of areas in people's lives like they're not happy with their work or their relationship, and you have to fill those voids somehow. Absolutely. Um, Can we talk about some of the the mental triggers that people have? Um, Where I read about this in uh, David Kesselman's, uh, David Kessler's The End of Overeating, and it was really profound for me, um, where when you... Um, drive by a certain restaurants or you're hanging out with certain people, just certain things can trigger you to want to, to reach for sugar or that forbidden food. Yeah. So I call this trigger pattern paralysis because you're, you're paralyzed by these patterns that you've experienced. And these patterns can come about in childhood. They can come about later in life. It, it doesn't really matter where they come from. It's just recognizing the patterns. So yeah, some people are, are perfectly fine with kicking sugar cravings at home. But when they go out to a social event, suddenly it's out of control, right? Or like you said, they drive by a place and it calls to them. And these are patterns that people are stuck in. And identifying these patterns uh, is is very important because the patterns are very powerful. That is what your brain is comfortable, com- comfortable with. It wants to get back to that pattern. It doesn't want to break out of the mold. It's the same thing with like making a new habit. If you try to make a new habit, your brain wants to return to that habit you've been doing for a long time because that doesn't require any mental capacity. And the brain is always trying to be very efficient, right? So doing new things, building new habits is kind of inefficient. So you you really have to understand the process of what's going on. Why is your brain trying to fall back into these old patterns? What specifically are the patterns and then how can I break them? Yeah. I mean, for me, I try to have alternate things to do. Like when I have a sugar craving, um, I'll drink a big glass of water to to try Mm -hmm. to get rid of the sugar craving or I'll go for a walk or I'll try to do anything to distract me from wanting that sugar, that sugar. (laughs) I guess it's Mm -hmm. so powerful. But I also found um, in the past when I had adrenal fatigue that uh, come about 2 or 3 p.m. when you're kind of having a dip in energy, that's when a lot of people also want to reach for sugar. So they need to have some healthy foods uh, that will give them, um, you know, uh, some healthy carbs, I think, that will give them that energy boost rather than the sugar. Because when you're biologically low on energy, your body wants that quick energy. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to be prepared for these circumstances. You know, it, the, the worst thing is to, is to not be prepared, to not have real whole foods available to you. Because when you're in a time like that, where you are, are triggered and looking for sugar, if you don't have the alternative at hand, 
then you're going to reach for the sugar. Like it's just a given, right? Um, you're, you're not going to be able to, to make that better decision in, in that time frame. So having stuff on hand where you realize, okay, my energy levels are crashing right now. Let me just open the fridge and boom, I have a plethora of real whole foods here available to me, healthy fats, healthy carbs. I can have something here. Uh, that makes the world a difference. People really get into trouble. I, I always make it the first step for people to reboot their environment. That's what I say that they need to do as the very first thing, because if your environment is not set up for your success, you will fail. And, and that's a given. Let's talk a little bit about carbs. Um, for I think it's very important to have healthy carbs on hand. Yeah. Because um, I know for me, genetically, I can't do low carb. And whenever I've tried to go really low carb, I have really voracious sugar cravings. I have the FUT2 gene, which means that I, on my 23andMe test, and I, I, need, I can't do low carb. Um, so can we talk a little bit about carbs? Like, are carbs evil? And what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So carbs really need to be put in context. Um, I, I'm actually don't even like the use of the word carbs because not all carbohydrates are, are equal. I mean, eating a pizza is not the same as eating a potato, right? So, you know, when, when we first talk about carbs, it's important for people to take this first step of committing to real food. Because once you've done the commitment to real food, carbs become far less of a problem. If you're eating a lot of processed carbohydrates, then we have huge problems. I mean, those throw off your satiety signals. Uh, they really spike insulin levels. They, they do a lot of things that are destructive. And when we step outside of that space, we get to real food carbohydrates they don't do those things and that actually nourish your body and can set you up for success. So I would say that's the important context to understand. Um, a lot of the talk about carbohydrates as far as like hunter gatherer diets go is misguided. So there's a lot of people online saying, you know, hunter gatherers were very high fat, uh, you know, moderate protein, very low carbohydrate. And yeah, there, there were some hunter gatherer tribes that lived like that, but there were hunter gatherer tribes that did not live like that. They were very high carb and, uh, and potentially even low fat. So it, it's, we can't try to put these concepts into these little black and white boxes. When we, when we lose the context of the discussion, that's when the real problems start to happen. And unfortunately, that's what's happened a lot online. That's what's happened a lot in the paleo movement. You know, when I go into paleo message boards and things like that, there's a heavy demonization of carbohydrates a lot of times. There's the, the there's misguided stories about how hunter-gatherers lived as if there was only one hunter-gatherer tribe that ever existed and they all ate the same way. Uh, a lot of dogma floating around on that. So I would say do, do not be afraid of carbohydrates as long as you've committed to real food. And then a, a second thing there would be you have to have the movement levels to support your carbohydrate intake. So there's this concept of evolutionary mismatch where we as, as you know, early humans were drawn to these high glycemic foods. These are high reward foods. The problem is now we live in an abundance of this stuff. We didn't really have an abundance of that back then. We can have sugar any time of the day. Uh, in fact, people are trying to give us sugar at all times of the day, right? And then you mix that with our very, very low output, our very low use of our bodies. We're just sitting around all the time. Uh, we're exercising, but exercise is not movement. Like going to the gym for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, that doesn't make up for sitting on your butt for eight hours a day at the computer. You have to integrate low-level movement throughout your day in order to support this carbohydrate intake. 
Uh, if you're just sitting at a computer all day, eating a bunch of carbohydrates, probably not the, not the best strategy. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you that there's a lot of dogma in the paleo sphere. And that's why I developed the modern paleo diet where people have mm-hmm. to find the diet that works for them. And that can take a lot of trial and error and testing, food sensitivity testing and genetic mm-hmm. testing, et cetera. Like I found that I, I can't really eat a high fat diet. I should probably be eating 20, 30% fat. And this 70% fat, I don't think that works for a tremendous amount of people. Uh, maybe some young males and some like very, you know, fast metabolizer females and whatnot. But I, I don't see that working for a lot of people. Yeah, it's very uh, genetics dependent. I mean, it just seems some people do very well on that and some people don't. And I mean, that, that makes sense because there's a lot of history of people on high fat diets and there's a lot of history on people on higher carb diets. And it just depends on like what what line did you come from? You know, that's probably what what your body is more drawn to. Yeah, so I always encourage people to play around with things, maybe get a, you know, CTMA certified typing metabolic advisor to help you out with that. I'm hoping to become one soon, but it's not available online right now. Nice. <laughs> but let's talk about sugar. Um, yeah. There's a lot of misconceptions about sugar, what sugar is healthy, what sugar should you avoid, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So in terms of the, the health of sugar, um, in, let's, let's look at processed sugar, for example, here, because this is what people are always worried about. People are worried that by doing a sugar cravings program, that we're going to somehow take away their happiness, right? They, they look at this as like, oh, great. I can never enjoy sugar ever again. I can never have ice cream, you know? Um, so I always try to tell people, when you're talking about healthy eating and putting it in context, being a Nazi regarding sugar is not a healthy approach to sugar. That's not healing your relationship with food. So I tell people all the time, you know, I, I lead the shut down your sugar cravings course online. I created it yet about once a week, I go out with my family, especially in the summers, and we'll have a night where we get ice cream after we eat dinner. And we'll enjoy that ice cream out with the sun shining on our face and we're relaxed and we're enjoying life. You know, how is somebody who created Shut Down Your Sugar Cravings having ice cream? Well, first of all, it's because I've done the work. I've healed the triggers. When I eat a bowl of ice cream, that doesn't mean I eat six more bowls and I don't eat a bowl every day for the next seven days because of that. I didn't like fall off the wagon and get run over by it. Um, So doing the work allows you to moderate, right? We always have this talk of moderation and is moderation even possible? Or some people say moderation is the best strategy. Moderation is something that you can achieve. And I think that's the goal is when you change your relationship with food, you're able to enjoy even process sugar from time to time. And in the context of a healthy lifestyle, people I think should be doing that because abstaining from something like that forever and all the time and trying to be 100%, that's not healthy. And the stress that comes from that is probably far more damaging than just eating the bowl of ice cream that you, that you would have had. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's some people that, um, you know, there's some personality types that take things to an extreme and they've, mm-hmm. I haven't had sugar in two years and, right, right. and whatnot. But I, I think for a lot of people, it's about moderation. Once a week is is fine. And I think that people can, you know, some people that are addicted to sugar can go for a week and then have their little treat, whatever that might be, and, and plan for that. Um, I right. think that's, that's a, I think, just a much better strategy. Moderation is key. Yeah. And, and even, you know, I've seen it time and time again through my program of working with people that where before the program, they would try to, they would do will, the willpower thing, 
uh, for six days. And then that seventh day, you know, and a lot of programs advocate for this. They call it the cheat day. So yeah. you just look, you use your willpower for six days. You do whatever you want on the seventh day. And I want to steer people away even from that strategy. I want it to be uh, something that's very intuitive, like, oh, I want a bowl of ice cream. Sure. Let me have one. Because in the context of what I've done um, over the past month, like this is a, it, it means nothing. So I think getting people hyper-focused on willpower, 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 cheat, willpower, 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 cheat, that's still a losing strategy. I want people to get away from willpower altogether. And that's what comes from changing your relationship with food and healing the triggers. You don't need willpower anymore. You have a different perspective on food. You have a different uh, meaning for what food represents in your life. Therefore, it is powerless over you. And and that's where real freedom happens. When, When the food is powerless over you rather than consuming you at all times of the day, that's when you know you've you've made it. Yeah, especially um, I see that issue with having sugar consume you and cravings consume you because when people are generally healthy, like many of my listeners, they're not drinking, they're not smoking, you know, they're, uh, you know, very healthy individuals. And for a lot of people, sugar is the only drug left. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of people that, um, you know, have certain genetics. They have addiction issues. And when they get rid of all the addictions, be it drugs or sex or whatever addiction like people t- can have or fall prey to, sugar is the only thing left. Food's the only thing left. And that, yeah. uh, you know, activates those dopamine receptors, that reward system in the brain. Can you talk a little bit about that? Perhaps. Uh, overcoming that. Yeah, there's actually, you you kind of triggered in my mind, there's this concept of addiction transfer that people have to worry about as well. And, and that's what you said. Like if you, uh, we see it time and time again where somebody quits smoking and that causes or ramps up a sugar addiction or a food addiction. Like you haven't gotten rid of the addiction. Addiction is like this, this underlying thing inside you, right? It's, and the gambling or the sex or the shopping, that's just how it's choosing to manifest at the time. It's not actually like, there's nothing about shopping that, uh, you know, is it, it's not a chemical you're injecting into your bloodstream, like heroin or something, right? So it's like, why can some people go shopping and they just shop and other people go shopping and it's a full blown like nightmare and their credit cards are all maxed out and their trunk is full of stuff that they don't even want and don't even realize like they bought, you know, why does that happen? Why, why is it so different? Because this addiction is an underlying thing. That's just how it's manifesting for that person. And that activity, like you said, is triggering that dopamine where they might go do some other activity that doesn't have that effect for them. So getting to the bottom of, you know, why, why is this, what, what is my body trying to tell me, which is another important concept because people think, okay, I I understand I have the addiction. Well, I just want to stomp on it. I just want to squash it. I just want to put it out. I want it. I want to make it go away. And you can't do that. You, you can't just run it over. You have to understand it. You have to figure out what it's trying to tell you. And then you have to address those things and you have to heal those, those things. And then that's where the freedom comes from. Yeah, I really love how you go over a lot of the psychological aspects. So I think that's missing in so many other, uh, you know, online health programs and sugar programs, etc. There's not enough addressing the underlying psychological root causes of these issues. Can you talk about how your program differs from some of the other programs out there? And what are some of the problems with some of the other online programs? 
Yeah. So the way shut down your sugar cravings works is the first two weeks we focus on the dependency side of things, that easy side that I talked about. And we learn about the commitment to real food and why that's important and what the real food is going to do for your body and what processed foods do to your body when, when you're consuming those. And we provide the support, which is really critical. Um, there's a lot of programs out there. You just, you get the program, you follow the curriculum and you implement it in your life to the best of your abilities, but you're kind of just all alone and just left to just do it. Um, and it's not really tailored to you specifically. It's very kind of one size fits all. Whereas our program, the curriculum is a framework. And then we have coaches who are with you the entire time. You can reach out to them whenever you need help, if you have questions. And the coaches also get feedback from you. How is how are you responding to this? And what changes do we need to make based on like your individual preferences or individual experiences or individual issues that are coming up with you? And so the coaches are there to kind of mold this program to you. So that's the really the biggest part of it. Uh, and then the second biggest part is when you get to weeks three and four, we're done with the dependency side of things. And that's when we really hit heavy on the, the triggers and the tools that are going to give you long-term success. Success. Um, so my goal is that when people do shut down your sugar cravings, it's only a 28-day course. Uh, and obviously, we can't take you from a, a sugar addict to completely healed in 28 days. Like it's not anybody that claims they can do that is probably lying to you. So we give you the tools, though, and we give you the things to work on and to think about during the 28 days. And then you can continue to do the work because you know exactly what needs to be done and what needs to be focused on and what needs to be addressed. Um, so that's, that's the big part is that where most programs just do the dependency, they just get you through that initial dependency period. And then it's like, Oh, you graduated. Oh, you're successful. Uh, don't ever come back again unless you know, you're going to do the course again. Cause I got nothing else for you. Well, we say, all right, look, two, first two weeks, we get you through the dependency. And then the second two weeks, we're going to hit really hard on all of the psychological aspects of this so that you can be free forever. I want people to only have to do shut down your sugar cravings once. That's it. Uh, and if they want ongoing support after that to continue doing the work that they saw needs to be done in that program, then that's fine. But we're not going to play this game of you're on your fifth or sixth round of shut down your sugar cravings. That's not how this works. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like how you you know try to get people focused on real food and eating real food. Um, in terms of transitioning to real food, what do you suggest if people are you know very much caught in the standard American diet, the sad diet, and, and don't feel... <laughs> feel that they'll enjoy committing to eating real food. Right. So this was my biggest issue because when I, you know, my entire life, I was a standard American diet eater. I hated vegetables. I hated fruits. <laughs> Everything I ate was processed. I remember uh, pretty much twice a week, I would order a pizza and eat the whole thing myself. Uh, I, I would stop at Chick-fil-A and get milkshakes three to four times a week. Like it was just processed food, processed food, processed food. And when I try to eat fruit or vegetables and people hear that I don't like fruit, they're like, how is that even possible? Like that's the, that's the natural sugar. Like that's the good stuff. I'm like, no, it just, I'm so used to hyper palatable foods that anything real tasted horrible to me. And I think this is the biggest perspective shift that people need to make is that your taste buds now, how they are programmed is not how they will be 
for the rest of your life. So one thing I found that was huge was when I committed to real food. And in the beginning, it was a struggle. But I would say four, five, six months in, you know what happened? I started to enjoy eating fruits and vegetables. And then I started to like seek them out. And then I realized that if I went back to processed foods at all, it was like they were too powerful. It was the, the flavor was it, it's it seemed off. It seemed fake and, and it wasn't as enjoyable. And just when I talk about psychological perspective shifts, there's physiological perspective shifts that happen too. So your taste buds are constantly turning over. And as you retrain them by removing the hyperpalatable foods and reintroducing the real foods, they start to come down again. You know, they're, they're very, uh, are, I, actually I should say it goes the other way because when you eat hyperpalatable foods, they have to kind of turn off a little bit because there's, there's too much there uh, and you need to get that sensitivity back. And that sensitivity comes back fairly quickly. So someone like me who wouldn't touch vegetables or fruits now consumes vegetable vegetables and fruits all of the time, seeks them out, enjoys consuming them. And that's what I want people to see as possible. Because when I was back on that standard American diet, if somebody had told me, all right, you're going to commit to real food. Here's what it looks like. I would have been like, there's no way. I don't like any of those things. There's no way this is going to work. Um, but realizing that don't worry, your taste buds are going to change and adapt and you're actually going to enjoy this. That is is really eye-opening. And I hope people believe me when I say that. Um, it may sound far-fetched, but it's absolutely the truth. Yeah, I had I felt the same way. Um, I always ate vegetables my whole life, but I kind of lost my way in my teeny, teens and 20s where I ate a, a lot of food because I could. And I just didn't gain weight eating them. And I ate fast food all day long, etc., and um, uh, it's so true that you talk about, uh, you know, your taste buds do, uh, they do readjust because mm -hmm. like, you know, when you eat, like, for instance, um, like certain foods, processed foods and fast foods have so much MSG and mm, yeah. uh, uh, glutamate in them. And those just can make it taste so good. Yeah. And it was now when I, I took a bite of a food like that, um, it just, it tastes terrible to me. It just completely yeah. overpowers your mouth and your senses because I'm so used to the, the subtle delicacies and flavors and smells of fruits and vegetables. And it, it's so much more enjoyable that I, I just have no desire to go back to that way of eating. And I never thought that I would be there. Um, it's just right. those small steps every single day that are so important, maybe eating one more vegetable a day or just making those small changes. And over years, it leads to huge changes. Yeah, especially it's really important too for people to understand that this is true for vegetables. And, and I didn't realize this up front because when my parents gave me vegetables, of course, it was low fat. So there, there wasn't any butter on the vegetables there, you know, there, they, there wasn't anything there to really enhance the, the flavor and help make this dish taste better. When you can use healthy fats with your vegetables, it becomes much more palatable. Like nobody or few people like to just grab a vegetable and like gnaw on it. Like I like to cook them and butter them. And like, that's really, you know, what makes it great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about um, high glycemic foods. Um, what is some of the problem with high glycemic foods? Because most of the, the standard American diet is very high glycemic foods. How does that affect your sugar cravings? 
Yeah. So in, in my experience, you know, high glycemic foods are low satiety foods. So they're really going to drive hunger. Uh, they're going to drive and, and make those cravings even worse. And it's going to lead to people almost always overeating a lot, especially if there's there's processed foods in the mix. Now, there's also this, you know, the, the theory of insulin driving weight gain and, and issues there. There's a lot of controversy involved in that. I'm not going to really get into that because I don't think it's the most important side of this. I think the most important side of this is putting, just like we did with carbs, just putting high glycemic foods in general in context and saying, look, if you are committing to real food and you're not sedentary, there's not you're not going to run into a lot of issues. Now, if you do have cravings and you're in this process of shutting down your sugar cravings, you know, in the first two weeks of shut down your sugar cravings, we are removing a lot of high glycemic foods because like I said, said, they tend to be low satiety foods or they tend to be foods that, you know, exacerbate those triggers and they kind of send mixed signals to your body. You know, if somebody is, is trying to get rid of their sugar addiction, but they're eating tons of fruit, it's kind of telling your body like two different things, you know, like I'm trying to get rid of the sugar addiction, but I'm giving you lots of natural sugar in even, you know, if somebody was four months, five months, six months down the line, fruit's not a problem. But in that first two to three weeks, of trying to overcome the sugar cravings, then it may be a problem. I've had people who were doing really, really great, uh, eat an orange, and then they're like, wow, my sugar cravings just went haywire. Uh, So I've heard that so many times that we just decided, look, we will kind of calm down on the high glycemic foods altogether, even if they're real. Uh, in the very beginning. And then we're going to have to introduce those later. But for right now, it doesn't fit the strategy of overcoming these sugar cravings. So understanding the context of like, where do high glycemic foods fit in my life? Do they fit for me right now? Uh, or do I need to wait and, and have them fit in somewhere later down the line? Yeah, it took me a long time to figure out why I would have a bowl of cereal in the morning, frosted flakes or my corn pops or whatever it was that I was still eating into my 20s. And then I'd be hungry two hours later. And I found this because it's a high glycemic index and you have that crash and you want more carbs, more sugar. And I was, why am I hungry? I just ate two hours ago. And uh, I think a lot of people find that as well when they eat smoothies in the morning Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of sugar, a lot of fruit, a whole banana and some dates and some, you know, other high sugar fruits. And then they're hungry two hours later. And so I I think it's uh, very important to talk about how fruit has so many carbohydrates. Some of the fruits are so high sugar and, and they're not healthy for you. Um, right. Some of the really high sugar ones. Can you talk a little bit about the problems with fruit? Yeah. So I actually have people follow. I give them a little, just a little template when they come in kind of, it's, it's not a rule. It's just a suggestion that they order, uh, their, their carbohydrate intake. So you prioritize veggies and then the next thing would be berries. And then the last thing would be fruits because especially when you tell people, okay, eat fruits and vegetables, you know what they do? They go eat all fruits and they (laughs) they leave out the vegetables. (laughs) So I make sure they prioritize like primarily vegetables. Then you go to the berries. And then the last thing you would include is fruits. But yeah, we find all of the time, especially for breakfast, because I, the, the number one message that I get from people is I like my breakfast to be light right? I don't want to eat a lot of fat or a lot of protein in my breakfast. Therefore, I turn to fruits. Therefore, I turn to oatmeals and things like that. And then, like you said, 
We get that crash. Two hours later, they're severely hungry. Their cravings are going haywire. They're stuck at their desk, so they don't have a lot of options. They're not prepared. All of this is a recipe for disaster. So yes, making adjustments to when do I eat my carbohydrates in the day? You know, that's a really important factor, uh, especially with uh, the fact that if you partition your carbohydrate intake toward the nighttime, a lot of times that can help improve your sleep. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can make shifts in, in what people are doing throughout the day to really help them. But yeah, that's a huge issue is, is eating sugar in the morning, setting yourself up for failure for the rest of the day. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I find the same thing when I've experimented with my body that if I have sugar or fruits in the morning, I just I end up eating sugar throughout the day. Uh, yep. It just never seems to fail. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of eating lots of protein? Um, not going crazy with it, um, but right. not eating 30% protein, but how can eating protein uh, you know, stop sugar cravings? So protein is just very high satiety, right? So when you're eating the protein, you're going to, that, and this is why low carbohydrate diets tend to work pretty well for weight loss because you eat the protein and it, sates you and you've actually eaten less calories. Whereas if you were eating a bunch of carbohydrates, you would continue to eat them. I mean, it's, they're very low satiety foods. So, um, that leads to overeating, like I said. So when you bring protein into the mix, it's just kind of like calming to, to the system and it helps stabilize those blood sugar levels. Once you get on the roller coaster and that's what happens when you're eating that breakfast, you're, you're getting right on the roller coaster in the morning. That's why it's so hard to not snack and not, um, you know, just go off off the, the the record with with your sugar eating during the day, because once you're on the roller coaster, it's impossible to get off. It's not impossible to get off. It's really hard to get off. Um, so having that protein, especially in the morning, to stabilize those blood sugar levels, make sure that you never get on the roller coaster in the first place. Everything is just nice and stable, and then you make it to lunch. You do the same thing, and then you make it to dinner, and you do the same thing, and everything is good. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, can you let's talk a little bit more about your shut down your sugar cravings program? Is there anything more you want to tell uh, people about it? Uh, I would say that number one, continue to think about a lot of the important things we've talked about, such as the psychological side of things being really important, such as the fact that you're not condemned to a life of being sugar free, and the third thing would be that. If you are looking at real food as something like maybe that this is going to be a struggle to transition to, that we are going to help you make that transition. And then once you have made the transition, it is absolutely enjoyable and you will be absolutely glad that you did it um, because there's nothing like experiencing. We can talk about it as much as we want to, but there's nothing like experiencing truly being free from sugar cravings in, in a authentic long-term way. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who have been quote unquote off sugar for 21 days or 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, but because they didn't deal with a lot of the long-term stuff, they eventually rebounded and went back they still don't know what it's like to be completely free, to have a different relationship with food and a different relationship with sugar and be able to moderate and be able to enjoy life again. That's, that's what these programs are about. It's 
how about we do this so we can stop obsessing? Because when you stop obsessing and you stop being consumed by these issues, you can actually enjoy life and you can go put your focus on other things that are far more important. I want people to to experience that. that. That's the biggest thing. And let's talk about how important it is to reduce or even eliminate your sugar uh, intake. What kind of diseases does a you know, constant sugar intake cause? Well, first of all, I mean, obviously it is a large driver of obesity and then there's tons of diseases, you know, heart disease, diabetes, everything that is associated with being overweight and, and eventually being obese. So trying to avoid all of that is really important. But again, it's about context. If you are committed to real food, you shouldn't be afraid. And if you are moving your body a lot, you shouldn't be afraid. And if your stress levels are being kept low, you shouldn't be afraid. And if you're sleeping well, you shouldn't be afraid. So putting all of these things, getting all of these things in order is the number one defense against all of these potential problems that are out there. Uh, We do know this, that if you ignore all of those things, then you are at far greater risk of developing all of these diseases and conditions. If you commit to real food and you put all of the other pillars that I just talked about into practice, you are are likely not going to see any of those issues. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't realize that they have high cholesterol. It's because they're eating too much sugar and and some grains, processed grains, that drives up their cholesterol levels. It's not saturated fats and red meat and things like that. And um, so I think that's a really important point for people to know. Like a lot of people don't realize uh, when they're going to their physician and diagnosed with high cholesterol, the doctor tells them to stop eating red meat and butter and and, and completely ignoring the fact that it's sugar and grains that are contributing to that issue. Um, so I just want to make that point. I think that's important. Yeah. And really, and really it's processed sugar, right? Yes. It's, it's, you know, nobody is going, uh, and getting these, you know, red cholesterol panels because they're a, a fruit eater, you know, they're eating a lot of fruit. It's all of the processed food that's in their life. That's really causing the problems. And it's, it's, it is more than just the sugar. The sugar is a big part of it. Um, but like, that's what, that's why I said, when you commit to real food, a lot of those problems instantly go away because real food doesn't have the, the, the issues. It doesn't have the chemicals. It doesn't have the, the hyper palatability. It doesn't have a lot of the fake sugars and it's just, it's nasty, right? And you switch to real food and good things happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your program, Rebooted Body. Um, I, I really uh, admire this program. Um, I think it's uh, beautifully designed, and I think it's a great long-term program for people to embark on. Can you talk a little bit about this program and how you developed it? Yeah, so uh, Total Body Reboot was the blueprint that I made when we did that first live group in Atlanta. Uh, it looked radically different. Obviously, we've we've gone through many iterations now. We're on version like 3.0. Uh, we're actually working on version 4.0. And the good thing about this is people are lifetime members when they join this. So whenever we do iterations on the program, they get access to those iterations as well. Um, but what we do is we walk people through six different stages. And it's, it's designed to be based on my experience with working with people, putting the the right pieces in the right order so that people can get from point A to point B faster and with less stress and with with less uh, just trouble in general. Because I think a lot of people don't realize that if you embark on this, trying to do this on your own, 
Um, there's going to be a lot of setbacks a lot of, along the way. There's going to be a lot of challenges along the way. There may be some challenges you run into that you don't have answers for. You may do what I did where you make a lot of progress and you have a huge setback. And got to sneeze there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nice. Didn't have it. It's a fake out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah, what people don't realize is that when, when I had my setback, I had made a lot of great progress and I had this setback dealing with all of these, these psychological triggers. That was months, months and months and months of time to get back on track. And if people don't want to have to go through that, if they want a system that's already laid out for them that knows a lot of the challenges that they're going to run into and exactly how to overcome those challenges, then that's what Total Body Reboot is for. It puts everything in a nice line for people. They just go step step by step. And then the support, just like I talked about with shut down your sugar cravings, our coaches are right there with you the entire time you reach out whenever you need help. And if you have in like challenges that are unique to you, we're there to help you solve those as well. We, we also made total body reboot kind of like a framework and not a one size fits all program so that when you give us feedback and say, Hey, this isn't really working for me. What should I do instead? Boom. We're right there to help you do that because we understand that every single person is different and every single person has different needs. So we're very responsive inside that program to, to what people actually need. And you wrote a book too. You wrote uh, REM Rehab or REM Rehab. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, why you wrote that? Yeah. REM Rehab is the book that I co-authored with Evan Brand from Not Just Paleo. And we decided to write the book. Uh, number one, it, it's it's kind of like a secondary thing that I give people who do total body reboots. It's actually included in the total body reboot membership because in stage two, I wanted people to be able to reboot their sleep because that's such a huge aspect of being successful. Uh, sleep drives cravings. If you're doing a shut down your sugar cravings type program, it's also available in that too, by the way. Um, if your sleep is not dialed in, so two things happen. Number one, we have uh, leptin, which is a, an appetite suppressant hormone. We have ghrelin, which is an appetite stimulant hormone. So there's been numerous research studies where if you're getting six hours or less sleep per night, you have uh, basically 30% uh, more ghrelin production. So you're going to be 30% hungrier. And then 20% is uh, the leptin like diminishing effect. So we're, we're suppressing that leptin. So you're not as able to feel full when you do eat. So this is a huge issue for people who are trying to overcome sugar cravings. I mean, we have people t- telling me all the time, Kevin, I'm doing everything you're telling me, but it's not working. I don't understand like well, my cravings aren't going away. And I'm like, well, how's your sleep? Uh, well, you know, I'm getting five to six hours a night. We got this thing at the company you know, I'm I'm having to put in a lot of work and I'm like, boom, like right there. That is exactly why you're still struggling. You don't have your sleep dialed in. It's nearly impossible to succeed if you don't have your sleep dialed in. And I hadn't added that to the program yet. So this opportunity to create this with Evan was a a really good opportunity, not just to give people something to to, um, do if they know they have trouble with sleep and they know how important sleep is, but to supplement my programs as well. So we created rim rehab. And, uh, like I said, it's available in the programs. And even if you don't want to do one of the programs, you can purchase it by itself, rimrehab.com. And we show you how to completely reboot your sleep after we tell you about all of the crazy things that will happen to your body. If you are getting poor sleep. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's a really important book because I have the same thing. If I have a client that's not sleeping well, they're not going to be able to heal their body. They're not going to be able to reverse disease. They're not going to be able to kick their sugar cravings or meet any of their health goals. They have to get them sleeping. It's the number one priority. 
Yeah, I, I use the analogy of, of the sun, you know, coming up where, you know, what what has the, the most impact on the Earth's temperature on any given day? And it's like whether the sun is up or whether it's down. Like if it's night, guess what? Temperatures are low. If it's up, then temperatures are hot, right? It, it has a massive impact. Sleep is kind of the same way. Sleep has that massive of an impact on your health, on your cravings. So if you are getting very poor sleep and you're like, why isn't my body warm? Well, the sun's not up. It's nighttime, right? Like it's, you have to get that thing in order. And once you do, you realize how almost instantly you feel better. I mean, if you have a lot of sleep deprivation, it's going to take a few days, maybe even a few weeks. But once you get your sleep in order and you're committed to it, then you're going to realize how powerful it is and how much you can turn around in a very, very short amount of time. Um, Some people that I've talked to who were having trouble with sugar cravings and we got their sleep in order, it was like, it's like a light switch for a lot of people. Like instantly they get relief. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think it's the number one priority people need to have and they need to discipline themselves to get better sleep. It's so important. Yeah. I have a question I like to ask all of my guests. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? Uh, it's got to be the the lack of movement. Um, I mean, just thinking about going from the bed where we're lying down to the breakfast chair where we're sitting at our table and eating to our car where we're sitting down, driving to work and then going to work and sitting at our desk in the office and doing that for hours and hours and hours and going to lunch. And then at lunch, you're sitting down and you're eating and you're talking to your coworkers. Then you go back and you sit more at your desk and then you go home and you sit on the couch in front of the television. And then you go to the gym, you know, a few times a week because you're like, that's what I need to do to live an active lifestyle. And it's like, dude, you're not active. You're not, you're not even close to being active. I don't care how many times you go to the gym, you're not active. Active is not doing all of that sitting that you're doing. Like you have to be moving your body, going to the gym, exercising is not undoing that. Um, and if you think it is, you're fooling yourself. So finding different ways to be active. Um, and, and, you know, one of this, the, the big thing now is the standing desks, right? Yeah. Like, I just had to let ask me, you that. <laughs> let me convert to a standing desk. And really, I, okay, that's better. It's better than sitting. I'll give people that. The problem is not with sitting. The problem is with not moving. So if you're standing still and not moving, it's still a really, really big problem. So um, the getting people to move their bodies, and even if it's just like, you know, I see a lot of people, which is cool, sitting on on a uh, an ab ball, right? Like to do their work because they're having to use like their postural muscles and they're rolling around a little bit when they're not typing and they're thinking or something like that's movement. Um, one thing that I I do now is I set a, a Pomodoro timer, which is just like a 20 minute or 20 or 25 minute timer that just goes in cycles. So you set it and 25 minutes, it goes off. So you get up and you spend five minutes doing some stretches, doing some push ups or some squats or whatever, taking a walk, coming back, you do more work, timer goes off again, you do it again. And it's just a reminder to get up and move throughout the day. And I think if people got this movement, if they committed to movement, not committing to exercise, but committing to movement in general, they would see a ton of benefit and they would see the reversal of a lot of the problems that they're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a a treadmill desk? (laughs) I don't. I don't. I just force myself to constantly get up and take breaks and go move. But I can tell you that that's the biggest mistake I made in the first 
I would say eight months of running rebooted body because like I said before, I was a martial arts instructor. So I was up on my feet moving all day long, kicking bags, punching bags, getting, uh, holding paddles for kids kicking, which means I was walking backwards and moving the paddles and walking forwards and moving the paddle, just constant movement all day long. And when I quit that job and I transitioned to rebooted body, it went from moving all day long to not moving all day long. And I saw such a decline in my health in that first eight months. And it took me a lot of time to recover from that as well. Uh, it's not easy. Like once you fall into that, it's it's not easy to crawl back out of. But um, I, people got to see, they got to realize. And they've been at death so long now that they don't realize the impact. Thankfully, I got to, to witness the transition from moving a lot to not moving a lot in such a short amount of time that I knew exactly what was wrong. And I was able to start to reverse that problem. A lot of people, unfortunately, haven't, haven't caught on to that yet. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was so good. You're always such a mm. great guest, which is why thank I you for to having you. me. Yeah, that's why I wanted to have you come back on. Well, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you and maybe a little bit more about you? Sure. So everything is at rebootedbody.com. They can get our Facebook. They can get our Twitter, everything there if they want. Uh, of course, the programs are there as well if they want to do those. We have over 125 or 150 blog articles now. We have over 100 podcast episodes. The Rebooted Body podcast is on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, and just a, a shout out to the Overcast app. It's a new app that I download and that's how I listen to podcasts. And it's probably the best app that I've ever used. So people want to get in into podcast listening or they're already a podcast listener, but they, maybe they're not happy with their, their current app. I would say the Overcast app. I think it's free. Uh, it's really good. It's the best one I've used. So uh, that's it. Rebootedbody.com. Well, Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you. And listeners, you want to learn about me, go to live2110.com. You can learn about natural healing, how to heal your health conditions naturally and detoxification, the modern paleo diet, all kinds of info about living a healthy lifestyle. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.